Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, a penny for your thoughts on AMC. The Reddit favorite moving higher in the after hours on earnings, but one top-ranked analyst just dropped a bombshell of a call on this stock. Why he sees AMC headed to, get this, one penny a share. You heard that right. The ultimate bear case for this high flyer coming up. Plus, Gee whiz, GE shares tumbling today as the company floats the idea of a reverse stock split by the news of some of our traders scratching their heads. And later, building gains, Roblox soaring on its public debut. We'll tell you how our traders are playing this one. We start off with a $1.9 trillion injection to the economy. The House passing one of the biggest stimulus bills in U.S. history. It includes $1,400 direct payments to most Americans. And unlike the last round of stimulus, this cash injection comes as a growing number of states start to reopen. Maryland announcing today a big rollback of its COVID restrictions. And states like Texas, Florida and Arizona have lifted nearly all of their restrictions. So as this round of stimulus rolls out and states start to reopen, where does the money go this time around? Guy. Well, I'm going to race out to Burger King and get a Whopper, no tomato, 100%. Just you letting you know in now, case anybody's just curious. FYI. But... Anyway. Can? Oh, it's looking me for a year now. I've been jonesing for a Whopper and I haven't. No, I, you know, it's interesting. Clearly, people, the want to spend, and I've said this for years, never underestimate the U.S. consumers want to spend. And, you know, we can try to figure out where they're going to spend it. But one thing we've been pretty steadfast on is the vehicles with which they do spend and how they spend it. And we've talked about MasterCard, new all-time high today, Visa, within a whisper of that. Even American Express has been on fire. I think those are the names you stay with. And one name that's been under pressure now for the last month, month and a half, that I think is really interesting at these levels, is PayPal. Traded down to that sort of January low, I think, at 225, 230. Seemingly has bounced a bit. So... I think if you're looking for some catch-ups in a name like PayPal, that might be interesting. But the ones that have worked uh, in terms of the consumer, forget about where they're going to spend it. Figure out what they're going to spend it with. But should we be thinking about what consumers have not been able to spend on in the past year? And now all of a sudden the floodgates are open. You could spend anywhere you want. And so maybe that spending will go back to those buckets like never before with, you know, with abandon, Karen. I mean, maybe you'll be splurging on the trip as opposed to buying the sweater from Macy's. Right. Or maybe you'll do both. I mean, maybe you yeah, saved maybe. a lot of money. So and you have an additional stimulus coming. So maybe you'll do both. So maybe you go out to dinner a lot more often. But I think travel is obviously something that has really been completely shut down in many areas. So that's a big one. Um, I, so obviously the airlines have, you know, that's kind of, to me, priced in. A big comeback is already priced in. It's interesting to see you know, this stimulus has been happening in slow motion for a while. The fact that it actually got done today, I don't, it's, I was a little surprised by the market's reaction. But um, 
I think it's that rotation has continued, and we saw even with this strong market, those high flyer names really not bouncing back. They did a lot yesterday, but not so much today. That one, the IGB that I follow, is a, you know down slightly for the day in a big up market day. We saw the banks rally, even though rates didn't move, even though with the stimulus, rates didn't move. That was interesting to me. 1.9 trillion stimulus, rates flat. Mm-hmm. That was a headline that's sort of surprising together. So the reopen trade is really working, but we knew the reopen trade was going to happen. So I feel like this could be a little bit of, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news. Oh, sell the news. But are there any other, I mean, Steve, do you think there are places in the market in terms of the reopening trade that have not fully priced in this potential torrent of stimulus um, spending and also all the savings. Karen brought up a good point on the savings. Apparently, $2.9 trillion in extra savings were generated during this lockdown globally, and about half of that is in the United States. That's a lot of money just waiting to be deployed, even if you think a percentage of that total is going to be deployed. Right. I, I think that you're going to have, even though uh, Karen brings up a great point that it could be priced in, when I look at a, a Marriott Vacation Club or a, a, a Spirit Airlines, yes, they've, they've both run. But just think about how many people are going to take a trip that never would have taken the trip before. Not just the people that want to get back to their regular lives. So I think you bring up a, a great point where you were joking with, with guys saying he could go out and buy a, a Whopper, no tomato. Now, I think you have to focus on what you couldn't do. We all sat at home. Uh, maybe maybe the Disney parks are going to probably rally. That's a huge number in the billions. Uh, but I still think you have room to be a buyer of airlines and a buyer of hotels. Tim, where would you go at this point? What is not priced in? Where? Well, we, we priced in a lot in all these trades that everyone's talked about. So um, I'm just going to emphasize that we're going to overshoot. We're going to overshoot on the upside. And then the, the, the byproduct of all this demand is continuing to throw, uh, you know, we're throwing two logs now on what is a commodity super cycle. And, and, and I, I think we've got a dynamic here where you already have uh, fundamentals and technicals working for the price of copper and oil and, and metals, uh, industrial metals and, and, and bulks and, and ag. And I think, you know, people are going to be out doing everything. And, and I think you have a case where there's not been a lot of investment in, in a lot of the infrastructure, both in the country and in these underlying industries. So I, I think that's enormous. I think the banks uh, have such such clear and straight exposure to the economy that's opening up and the consumer and this pent-up demand that why shouldn't banks continue? Look, banks as a sector outside of, you know, the XLF is at all-time highs, but it's not really uh, because of the, the underlying banks. It's because of Berkshire. Um, you know, Citibank is still, you know, 15% below its pre-COVID levels, and some of the other banks are as well. Why wouldn't you go into money center banks who have valuation arguments in favor of them, and, and you've still got a, a lot of rotation left to go as we've seen so um, that that's you know you, you don't reinvent the trade overnight but you know somewhere Charles Dow is, is smiling because industrials and transports are at all-time highs uh, and the sector rotations alive and well you know guy Tim mentioned an interesting point and that is overshooting to the upside as well because as you as you think about this I was speaking to an analyst today who covers payments. So she was talking about PayPal and Square and American Express and Visa and MasterCard, which you had mentioned at the very top. And I asked her about American Express, and she said that she and American Express don't believe that corporate travel will actually come back fully for several years. Several years, which implies mm-hmm. some sort of valuation 
uh, discount deserves is, is deserved for American Express, at least in the short term, until that period in which uh, travel comes back, if it ever will come back down the line. So at this point, are we sort of pricing in a full return to, to normal when we shouldn't be in certain cases? I think that's a great point. I mean, we know business travel in terms of the margins for airlines. That's such a huge component of it. And she said, I didn't hear the interview. I'm sorry that I missed it. But a few years, if at all, I, I would add to that. Because quite frankly, I think over the last year, we've learned that, you know, maybe you don't need the business travel that we needed a, a few years ago. Companies have learned you can do more in this environment than you'd be able to do in the past. So one has to wonder if it's going to come back to peak levels. With that said, I think you're going to see that more in terms of the airlines and their margins. I think American Express may be able to be offset in other areas. But I just also want to add that, you know, listening to Tim, it's eerily reminiscent of those early 60s Rolling Stones albums that were taped in mono because, man, that was no stereo in my ear. That yeah. was echo chamber galore. He sounds like he's in the tunnel today. True. But, you know, we'll, we'll try and get that straightened out in the meantime. We want to go to our next Please. guest here. Please. <laughs> Who predicts the relief package will contribute to the best economic growth in five decades, Joyce Chang is the chair of global research at J.P. Morgan. Joyce, great to speak with you. Great to be here. So the best growth in five decades. But has that been priced in with the market sitting pretty much at record highs? I don't think it's been priced in. I mean, we're looking at 9.5% growth for the second quarter of the year and north of 8% growth in the third quarter of the year. And we've also taken our forecasts higher on commodity prices as well. So I don't think it's fully priced in. I mean, this fiscal package is a victory for Biden. It happened a bit sooner than expected, and he really didn't have to make that many concessions. And when we look at actually what this means for earnings, it means that the multiples um, you can be sustained here. Um, when we run the numbers over here, we think that about every $1 trillion of stimulus adds about 4 to $5 to EPS. So I don't think that this is fully priced yet. We're very comfortable staying with 4400 on the S&P 500 target. Joyce, when you look at the overall market, the biggest fear in the market has been interest rates. So when you look at what you're uh, thinking about uh, going forward in the overall marketplace. Are you nervous about inflation at all, or do you th just think that it'll be absorbed within the market? The Fed waited years to create inflation. Finally, they had what they were trying to do. So this is all comes with a, a normal recovery? Well, I mean, inflation is running higher than what we've seen in the decade. I mean, you're looking at this globally at around 4% and 3% for the next quarter. So the market fears on inflation are not going to go away. But I think the Fed messaging has been very clear. It's almost like they've been trying to outdove each other in the statements. They're prepared for this. They've warned the market about an overshoot. And from the point of view of the equity markets, what's driving rates higher is actually positive. It is the growth story. It's the recovery story um, that will be playing out in these middle quarters of the year. It's Karen, let me just sort of hop on that point a little further. Even if the Fed doesn't move, the market can reflect a, uh, you know, that rates are going higher. And at what point does that start to push on the multiple, the PE multiple, even with greater earnings that would dampen the market's return? 
Well, I think with the lockdowns easing, you are going to see a change in spending patterns. And here we really do favor the consumer discretionaries. And we also favor certain sectors that have lagged. That includes the financials and it includes energy. So you have to be more selective here. But a lot of this momentum trade was unwound. And you've already had a very big move in the rates markets right now, um, You know, given the low point that we were starting from. So I do think a fair amount of this is already priced in. And, um, you know, remember that, you know, in other parts of the world, we're not seeing the momentum that we are seeing in the U.S. It's U.S. exceptionalism. So we still have the demand for treasuries. Um, we have the deposit growth and the demand for treasuries that's still very much in place. So, you know, there could be moments when this is disorderly and market structure, liquidity, you know, what we saw, um, you know, last week, there could be repeats of that. But we think that overall, um, you know, this is something that can be managed and that the Fed, you know, has given the forward guidance very consistently on this and has changed the framework. Further on that point, though, Joyce, I mean, it's one thing to to have the bond markets digest $1.9 trillion in stimulus, but you also think that this, uh, that a stimulus, excuse me, an infrastructure bill could pass as well. So you add that spending to the mix and could we actually see the bond market start, start going, you know, higher than you think? It doesn't take the Fed to move the markets, obviously. Well, I think infrastructure will be coming later in the year. It will also have to happen through budget reconciliation. So we're looking at a much smaller number, maybe something in the order of $300 billion, well below the Build Back Better you know, $2 trillion number that's been put out there. And I think some of that will get priced in as well. But um, you know, the key point that we would make is that um, you know, this will be you know, a second and third quarter story. We do still see that um, you know, by the fourth quarter of the year that you have um, – Growth coming down more to like you know quarterly rate that's around you know three percent, but it's these middle quarters when you have fourteen hundred dollars of checks being sent, where some of the retail money is probably going to come back into the market. A little bit of a repeat of what we saw in December when you had the last checks sent. All right, Joyce, pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Joyce Chang of J.P. Morgan. Let's trade this and pick up right where Joyce left off in terms of the impact of the stimulus checks going into the stock market. Deutsche Bank did a recent survey of 430 retail investors, and and on average, they anticipated putting 37% of the stimulus checks that they get into the markets. And so that could be anywhere from $25 billion of inflow if only people with online accounts deployed that money, up to $150 billion if every single person deployed the money to that degree. Um, Tim, what's your take on, on what the impact could be this time around? We certainly saw it the first couple of times. Yeah, I think Joyce brings a great point. And you have a case here where think about some of the, 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 the types of stocks and, and the momentum stocks that have been some of the recipients of this secular stories, thematic stories, um, parts of that high multiple universe that have been under a lot of pressure of late. So um, I, I think that these are important dynamics. And then I, as much as people think that uh, a Walmart or uh, you know, a Target were, were beneficiaries of COVID, you know, a, a lot of those checks are going straight to those places. I mean, let's be clear. And that's where a lot of people do a lot of shopping uh, and, and where I think you know, the focus of, of much of the stimulus is going. So um, I, I agree in revisiting some of those trades. I, I think you have a case where uh, you're going to see follow through on big ticket purchases. I, I think auto sales uh, continue to, to be something to watch as well. And the auto industry, uh, despite chip shortages and whatnot, uh, seems to be a place where investors are putting capital in addition to buying underlying cars. 
We've got an earnings alert on shares of Reddit favorite AMC. That conference call is just getting underway. For more on the numbers, let's get to Julia Borston. Julia. That's right. AMC shares gaining after hours. The company reported revenue that was 20 million higher than analyst projections. AMC also announcing that 8 million people attended its theaters in both the U.S. and internationally in the fourth quarter. CEO Adam Aaron saying that they are optimistic about theaters reopening and more big titles coming to cinemas as well. And movie theaters in Los Angeles County may be able to reopen at limited capacity, 25 percent, as soon as Sunday. Now, this is according to Governor Gavin Newsom. The county had to meet several requirements, including distributing 2 million vaccine doses to underserved populations and fewer than 10 new cases a day per 100,000 people. Now, Adam Aaron, just moments ago on the earnings call, said based on those comments, they should be opening theaters across Southern California, including Los Angeles, sometime very soon, possibly, but not yet, definitely as soon as Friday, March 19th. So we are going to be watching for that, Melissa, but certainly Southern California is a massive audience when it comes to the box office. Yep. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, We should note that AMC short interest, according to FactSet, is 14.8 percent. So let's not lose that fact when we're looking at an 8.7 percent pop in the after-hour session. At the same time, Guy, we saw some crazy moves in a lot of the Reddit stocks uh, today. What do you make of AMC? Yeah, no, quite well. I mean, AMC basically has now gotten back what it lost during the day on the back of the downgrade, which we will talk about in the back end of the show in the business. That's called a tease. So I will tell you, I mean, it takes it takes a certain degree of temerity to short these names in this environment that we find ourselves in. So I have the utmost respect for people that actually put out research to suggest doing exactly that. I don't know what to make of it. I'll tell you flat out. I mean, you look at a GameStop today, for example, I think up to 350, cut in half, cut in half at one point during the day today. I mean, that's just not normal. I, again, I'm not suggesting I know what's going on, but I will tell you um, that type of price action on top of the price action we've seen with Tesla and some other names this week, to me, is suggestive of something far um, darker going on. And it, it concerns me. Right now, everybody's thrilled about everything. But when you see moves like that in all kinds of different areas, stock sectors, ETFs, it's somewhat problematic. All right. Well, Guy had mentioned that downgrade of AMC today. That analyst, he put a penny price target on the stock. You heard that right. One penny, one cent per share. We'll press him on that bearish call. And sticking with earnings, check out shares of Oracle dropping after its latest results. We'll bring you the latest from that conference call. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of cloud company Oracle taking a new leg down as the earnings call gets underway. Let's get to Josh Lipton for the details. Josh. So, Melissa, remember heading into this print, investors had piled into this one. The stock was up about 15% over the past month, which made it your top performer in the S&P tech sector, but clearly giving some of that back now in the after hours. As for the results here, buck 16 on the bottom, uh, revenue was up 3% to $10.09 billion. Segments, cloud services and license support, that was up 5% to $7.3 billion. And the other big segment, uh, cloud license and on-premise license, that was up 4% to $1.3 billion. Capital return news as well. The board increasing the authorization for share repurchases by $20 billion. They increased the dividend as well. I did check in with Pat Walravens over at JMP. He covers the name. Says the Q3 revenue slightly ahead of expectations, but that beat, he said, really came from the licensing business, not the cloud business. Billings, yes, better than expected, but the apps business, he said, uh, flat sequentially. Infrastructure business, also flat sequentially. He has a market perform on this name. I asked Pat why. He says, bottom line, Oracle still needs to prove it can compete with those big cloud players. By that, he means the Amazons, the Microsofts, the Googles. Investors did not see an inflection this quarter, Pat says, in these results. On the call, CEO Safra Katz, she said a great quarter, executed well. She says Oracle continues to land many new customers and very large users coming in shortly, didn't name them. That's going to require, she says, significant capacity. So Oracle is going to be investing aggressively this quarter. Then looking ahead for Q4, we did seem to take a leg down on this guidance. She said revenue is going to grow 5 to 7%, 1 to 3% constant currency, non-GAAP EPS, she's calling in USD to grow 7 to 11%, buck 28 to a buck 32 or in constant currency, she says flat to up 4%. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. Guy, what's the trade on ORCL? Well, obviously, I mean, it made an all. I think it, today it made an all-time high, seventy-three dollars and change. Now it's sixty-seven. So the trade to me, it's exactly what it was when we jammed Oracle in in the hope trade uh, late last year, as the O in the hope. I think. Listen, I understand that it's not sexy. You don't have the growth, but valuation, it's not expensive. You have pretty steady growth. Operating margins are hanging in there. And oh, by the way, I actually think for the first time in a long time. Uh, they're starting to catch up with a sales force. So I think if it trades down to 65-ish, which was the high back in December, that, re- that level of resistance on the way up should be support on the way down. I think you buy it again. Grasso, if you were given permission to alter Guy's Hope trade and replace the O, which stands for Oracle, with another <laughs> stock, preferably in the cloud sector, what would you replace it with? Or would you stick with Oracle? I, I think I'd stick with Oracle, believe it or not. This whole growth to, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, growth to value shift that we've seen has knocked a lot of these high multiple stocks on their butt. And if you look at Oracle, I think it's a product of in the last four days, the stock is up 12 percent. In the last 13 days, it's up 20 percent. I think you're OK to stay here. And because if you chart it, Amazon and Oracle. I'm looking at a chart starting from February 22nd. Amazon straight down, Oracle straight up. 
the reason why you have uh, you have that divergence between the two is Amazon is your growth play. The market is selling all high multiple tech growth plays and buying value. Oracle, IBM, seen as value. Old tech is becoming in vogue again. I would stay with Oracle. Guy, I bet you're glad that he stuck with Oracle because it would be very difficult to get that tattoo changed at this point. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> it would be a problem. And again, the whole tattoo, although I know Johnny Depp had his tattoo changed from Winona Forever to uh, Wino Forever, but he could have actually put a Yum Brands in instead of hope it could have been hype, which is also a great thing for 2021. Hype. Okay. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Coming up, AMC on the move on the back of its earnings results. But Lightshed co-founder Rich Greenfield says the curtains are about to fall on shares of the theater operator. He'll join us to break down the big call. Plus, it's been a rough month for U.S. tech stocks. But if you really want to buy the dip, it might be worth looking overseas. We'll take a look at where the real opportunities may lie when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of GE under pressure today. The company announcing plans to sell its jet leasing business to rival Aircap for $30 billion. GE also proposing a one-for-eight reverse stock split. And that is some of our traders scratching their heads. Tim, I go to you first since you are a shareholder and you recently pitched GE. What's your take? Yeah, well, and, and part of the GE story is, is simplifying it and, and giving investors a, a better understanding of the underlying business and, and the balance sheet issues that have plagued this company. A lot of them are GE Capital. So uh, basically winding down GE Capital and, and putting that debt on the balance sheet right now. Uh, on, you know, today's news, those headlines are terrible for investors that are expecting a dividend anytime soon. In fact, it puts their net leverage at you know, north of five times. Um, where they were hoping to be below two and a half times by the end of you know, 2021 into 22. Um, I, I think this is a very good day. I think this is a day when, when you are getting to a simpler story at GE Capital. The Baker Hughes and the AER uh, you know, leverage, excuse me, the, the infusion from those sales are, are going to be bringing down leverage. And, and the value of those Baker Hughes shares that are being sold into the market over the last couple of years and for the next year um, are only going higher. So uh, I talked about also how higher rates really help a pension liability that's a big part of the balance sheet debt and in the short term means nothing to GE investors. So um, I, I look, after a 30% move on the stock in 30 days, that makes sense. The 8 to 1 reverse split, to me, I don't love that. Um, and, and you know, reverse stock splits are, to me, done by companies that are up against the ropes and it's almost a... Uh, an optics game with their share price. And uh, I, I think the normalization of the share price may be part of that, and, and, but I don't think that's necessary. The GE cap news and the lack of dividend in the short term are, are why the stock felt, so, so, excuse me, sold off today. And I think it's an opportunity. It's, not, it's nothing to run from. I mean, the thinking behind the reverse split is that a co- comparison like a Honeywell, for instance, has 
what, 700 million shares. GE has 8 billion shares, so they do the reverse split. It comes in line with a Honeywell, which has a market cap, which is similar to GE, so it sort of lines them up with competitors. But, Karen, mm -hmm. it is, I mean, when you think of a reverse split, you think of a stock that's like trading at a buck, and you want to make sure it's not delisted, right. so you reverse split it. I mean, it's usually yeah. a company in distress yeah. in some form. Right. And this is not. And I think that this sort of sends, you know, they're saying we're of that stature, uh, you know, a Honeywell type of dollarish value, not market value. But um, but, you know, renouncing reserve a reverse split is not of that stature at all. I agree with you. But reverse split, it's often a sign of weakness. I think, you know, they didn't get to this price because they split. Right. They got here because things didn't go well. They made bad acquisitions. Their debt skyrocketed and their stock got crushed. I know they did a split like 20 years ago, but that's not what led them to here. So the reverse split, I, I am not a buyer of that at all. And I think the board is going to change their mind. I think this is a bad idea. Just focus on the business, right? You're doing a great job trying to get the business, as Tim said, simplify the business, mm -hmm. get the debt under control. You get in that virtuous cycle of paying down debt and higher earnings. They should get rid of this reverse split. It just, you know, think about this. The board hired Flannery in 17, and I think in about 15 months, they pivoted. They said, we made a mistake, yep. let's change. That's a great thing to do. Make, I think, board, you made a mistake, change, don't do the reverse split. What do you think of the, uh, the timing of this guy, um, of, of selling this particular division at a time when it looks like the aviation business is actually going to pick up and maybe be in full swing? I mean, this, uh, I don't know if it's comparable, but it did remind me of getting rid of Baker Hughes. When they announced finally that they would sell the remaining shares of Baker Hughes, that was in the summer of last year. It was like the beginning of August, yeah. the end of July. And since then, Baker Hughes has been up 50% or so. I mean, timing has never been GE's no, strong yeah. suit. Not, I don't want to say never. Hasn't recently been GE's strong suit in terms of divestitures and acquisitions. Last 15 years, without question. I mean, you could say the same thing about when they got away from GE Capital. I mean, they basically bottom-ticked that thing as well. So, yeah, they've been zigging when they should have been zagging, and it makes you wonder, what do they know that we don't know? You know, selling a division that should actually be coming out of it and, and looking at the next five years of some of the most robust earnings availability growth that they maybe have ever seen. So it does leave you scratching your head. But what do I make of the time? I mean, the reverse split in a word is just dumb. And it's interesting. And I'll give you the sports analogy. Uh, when people put on that Yankee uniform, they always seem to play better. And then conversely, when they go to the other side of town, for whatever reason, things seem to go pear-shaped. And I'm wondering now to myself if that's the same thing here with General Electric. Uh, going from Danaher, which is effectively the Yankees, to General Electric, because I don't know what the thinking behind a reverse split is in this environment. So you're making the comparison that GE is like the Mets? Oh. I didn't say Mets. Well, you hear me say said Mets? The other, you said the other Mets. side of you town. I, okay. All right. Tim, Tim quick. Tim quick. As a, can, can, can the Met fan respond? I mean, look, it, it, it almost feels like the Yankees who have the highest payroll in baseball every year and win nothing are much like GE, but... You know, that's just the metaphor I'm seeing. All right, coming up, a home sweet home trade, why the group is building up big gains today and how you can get in on the action. Plus, shares of Roblox ripping higher in its market debut today. We'll break down why Wall Street's going all in on video games. Much more fast right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the home builders topping the tape in today's trade. The ETF moving more than 2% higher. Um, ITB, it's worth noting, which focuses squarely on builders, was up even more. Grasso, where do you go in this trade at this point? I still like DR Horton, and DR Horton is a spec builder, so that means that they're going to have a lot more supply. Uh, I, I, everyone's concerned with lumber prices, with, uh, with wages, and, and whatever the other input costs. And then they're most concerned with a rising interest rate environment. And as I've said uh, probably uh, hundreds of times, every housing recovery, and not that we need a recovery, uh, coming out of the pandemic because that's what people were investing their money in always takes place in a rising interest rate environment. I think you still have to play the names that have the supply on the market. Dr. Horton is probably the name I'd stick with. Yeah, Tim. I like the yeah. I I, I prefer to play the home builder trade through Home Depot, Lowe's, and and other components frankly, of the HBI, which uh, include Whirlpool at the top of the weighting, I think are one of the top weights in there. Um, and, and other uh, you know, industrial names that are giving you exposure to uh, either building materials or components like HVAC, so train or carrier. Uh, I, I think you know, those are clearly infrastructure build out, again, on the home front and people investing in their homes, homes that are worth more, people getting checks. They're going to Home Depot uh, as much as they're going to the mall or, or going to Walmart. So um, Home Depot had a nice pullback on the higher interest rates, and I think this is a good entry point. All right, coming up, a brand new gamer stock making its Wall Street debut today. Should you press play on this name or will it soon be game over? We got that trade ahead. But first, is there a buy the dip opportunity in the beaten down tech sector? We'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. A reminder, Kramer is off this week, but we have got a special report on the edge where we get the hottest takes on some of the biggest stories of the day. That is coming up at the top of the hour. Well, the tech wreck is taking the world by storm, but some markets are getting hit harder, much harder than others. Check out this chart comparing the K-Web ETF that tracks China's biggest tech stocks and the QQQ Nasdaq 100. China is down a whopping 18 percent in the past month versus the Qs losing just 6 percent. So if you're looking to buy a tech dip, should you look overseas? Tim. Well, it's great irony that, of course, EM with, you know, the top heavy part of the index are, are some of the biggest tech companies in the world, and, and to me, some of the most valuable ones. So Tencent, Alibaba, Taiwan Semi is almost a 6% position in the emerging markets ETF. Uh, and, and so as we talk about tech stocks at a time when uh, mega cap tech stocks have been under pressure, I mean, look at Apple trading sub 120. It's just the, the irony is that, of course, we are in this super cycle. We are in this moment where we're seeing commodities and banks moving higher. And if it was 10 years ago, this was the EM index. Uh, and in fact, when tech was running in this country, you didn't have a lot of exposure in the top end. So uh, I just bring that up for perspective. I, I think uh, the EM and Asian big cap tech names, especially Tencent, are some of the most valuable and undervalued companies in the world. And I think, you know, you have companies that have a much larger addressable market, whether it's, you know, the Spotify of China or NetEase or, you know, you have these dynamics where I think investors shouldn't get too far away from this trade. And I think the emerging markets trade is also one with uh, very good tailwinds from weaker dollar and ultimately global reacceleration. Yeah. Guy, your thoughts? He's right. Tencent, I mean, it was 99.80, I think, two weeks ago. It's trading 84 now. And Alibaba, I think, is giving you another shot. Having gone from 225 to 280, you basically round trip. So I think in terms of Baba, you have something to trade against in the form of that low we saw a couple of months ago, I think 225. And 
Tencent, I mean, Tim's been talking about it for a while. This is the first meaningful sell-off you've had in this stock in a while. So maybe that in the low to mid-80s is, is worth a look as well. Karen, you have been in Baba. Would you be back in Baba? I am still in Baba. You still are, okay. I still, yeah, I haven't sold any Baba. It's been a very, very bumpy ride. I think Baba is still very much undervalued. I know people talk about Ant, and, and uh, I, I feel like the Ant valuation, when you think about where the stock was when they were about to do Ant, the Ant valuation is completely out. And so, uh, you know, I like it here. It hasn't, hasn't worked lately for sure, but I think it's potentially huge and not expensive. There's a lot of other businesses there beside Ant, and Ant is not worthless. Yeah, it's trading like it is. Gross, I'll, I'll ask you K-Web or Q's, um, and I'll also give you a, a choice C, which is none of the above, because I know you like the uh, cyclical trade. So I, I think you, you probably can go with uh, uh, China-related stocks over the Q's. And if you think about it, there's been such negative rhetoric towards uh, anything China-based and including and, and probably most importantly, Chinese stocks. There's been talks about delisting it, that got to a fever pitch. So I think there was a number of things that hit that whole space. That has died down. I think the uh, rotation is still going to hit the cues here. So I'd, be a, I'd rather be a buyer. If it was a would you rather and you did, I would say Chinese stocks. All right. Well, one of those China stocks reports earnings tomorrow. Let's bring in Bono and Ison. So Bono and what's the setup for J.D.? Hey, Mel. So, yeah, given uh, all the comparing compelling stories around that narrative, I would say the the moves today in J.D. were actually relatively muted. If you're looking at calls and puts, calls only outpaced puts about one and a half to one and a half times the one. If you're looking at the volumes, that was only about 25 percent higher going into earnings. Um, so you can see that options are implying about a six percent move in either direction. And again, being relatively muted on earnings, we typically see about an eight percent move. And the trade that really jumped out to me, having to dig beneath the surface just a little bit, 4,000 of the June 82 and a half puts traded for about 425, putting your break even at about 87%, 87% of spot. I bring that up to contrast all of the upside call buying that we've been seeing in the market and the other sectors. Definitely a reversal of trend here in JD. All right. Bono and thank you, Bono and Ison. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, we are all over the after hours move in shares of AMC. The company's call is just wrapping up. We've got fresh reaction from the call with the analyst who says AMC is headed to a penny a share. We'll press them on that. Plus, Roblox in rally mode in its Wall Street debut. We'll dig into that trade next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Investors pressing play on shares of Roblox as the company made its NYSE debut today. Shares soaring more than 50 percent from its reference price of $45. It was up more than 7 percent from where it opened. Grasso, do you like this name? So this one, it fits into that growth bucket. High growth, uh, high valuation, basically. we'll, We'll be left to see what it looks like in the coming months. But This is one that I thought about actually buying today. I held back because I think it's going to be under pressure. I'd like to see it settle in just a bit. But it is worth noting that this was the third largest opening print in stock exchange history uh, behind Slack and behind Alibaba. So this was a a huge print. It It had an enormous following. People love this stock, but I'd wait for it to come in just a bit. 
How should we think about growth, though? This is trading like a growth stock. In talking about first quarter DAU growth, they said year on year it would be between 59 and 68 percent. In the second quarter, it's a DAU growth would be between three and nine percent because of the tougher comparisons, because people were cooped up, you know, young people, you know, not in school or at school learning virtually, and they had time to play video games, Guy. Things are going to open up, and then what? How do we think about this in terms of growth? Because it is a growth stock or trading like one. It's trading like one doesn't mean it is one, though. I mean, I think they probably saw that ridiculous growth, and now things are going to wane. So, you know, you're paying up for something that might have, may have seen its best days in, in terms of that growth trajectory. So I would, I'd be cautious there. I, I would actually be inclined to look at electronic arts which having made that double top around 150 in the mid-130s makes a little bit of sense. So I don't think the, the thematic behind this is over, but you, know, you pay for growth when growth is there, not when the growth is in your rearview mirror. It's like signing the free agent that had 10 great years and now it's 38. It's not going to do anything for you. <coughs> Tim. <laughs> it's like pick on Tim Day. I mean, first Tim is in a tunnel, then you pick on his Mets, and here you are picking on him again. This is the third okay. time in 51 minutes you pick on Tim. And I'm, not, I'm even including the commercial time. If you X out the commercial time, it's probably the third time in 40 minutes that you're picking on Tim. Poor Tim. Well, we pick on the ones we love. We picked on them during the commercial break. During the commercial break. That's true. That's that's true. Uh, All right. Coming up next, (laughs) why one analyst says a red-hot meme stock is worth just one penny. The bold call on AMC when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take another look at shares of AMC jumping more than 9% in the after hours on the back of its earnings report. Our next guest is fresh off the company's call, and he put out a new note today saying AMC is headed to a penny a share. Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Partners joins us now. Rich, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Melissa. This has been a crazy uh, 24 hours. Well, I was going to say, between the Fubo call you had uh, last year and the AMC to a penny call, I hope you have security cameras installed around your home. You know, Fubo's down, you know, pretty meaningfully from, you know, where we put a sell on it back in, in December. Uh, it's obviously been very volatile, but it's down pretty dramatically over the course of the past couple of months. And I think if you look at AMC theaters, you know, we've been looking at sort of the, the rise in the stock as, as investors seem excited by the reopening. What they're missing is that this is not Cinemark. Cinemark's actually got a very good, you know, very good balance sheet. AMC is eight times levered. They will never generate meaningful free cash flow. There is no value to equity holders. People can buy it because they're excited about going back to theaters, but there is no value to this company. And ultimately, that's what's going to matter is they can't pay off their debt ever. You also mentioned, of course, the secular headwinds facing all of the movie industry, and that's shorter release times, direct-to-consumer releases uh, via video streaming, um, et cetera, et cetera. So the same old sort of arguments working against the movie theaters, but... It seems like the leverage is really what got you for AMC putting it well, at a penny a share. Well, I would step back for a second. Okay. This company generated $770 million of EBITDA before the pandemic. So go right. back to 2019. Now think about what's happened. Forget about lingering health concerns. I'm sure at some point we're all going to feel comfortable doing what we did before the pandemic, whether that's 2022 or 2023. I'm not smart enough to know that answer. What I do know, though, is that executives like Jeff Shell, who runs your parent company, NBC Universal, Bob Chapik, who runs Disney, Jason Kylar, who runs Warner Media, Bob Backus, who runs Viacom CBS, all of them have said very publicly in the last several weeks, the consumer has spoken. 
we are not going back to pre-pandemic release windows. We are going to get movies sooner into the home and really empower the consumer with more choice. The end result is attendance levels are just never going to be. And so that 770 million of EBITDA is never going to be achievable again. And even if it was, they can't pay off their debt. But if they can't get close to that level, this thing literally is worth, you know, can't cover its debt, let alone have any value for equity holders. And that's really why we put the penny stock target on there for 12 months. Yeah. And the penny, let's be clear, is based on your 8.2 times 2022 adjusted EBITDA estimates. And and you're saying that that could even be generous. So basically you're saying, I mean, we're basically saying this this company company can't cover its debt. Right. It's going to go bankrupt. Ultimately, now it'll be a slow bleed because they don't have near term pressure. They've gotten a lot of relief. So they have a long time before they go bankrupt, which is why basically you put it at a penny. But the reality, because I'm not saying this company is going to file for bankruptcy in the next 12 months, but this is a company that doesn't seem to have any way to repay. Remember, it's got $5 billion of debt right now. It's got a mountain of deferred rent, hundreds of millions of dollars of deferred rent because it couldn't pay its rent over the last 12 months. I don't see any way with shortening release windows. I mean, every one of these studios is realizing the major driver of SVOD mm-hmm. is big movies. You know, you look at Soul for Disney, Hamilton, Wonder Woman, The Matrix is coming to HBO Max. All of these movies direct to consumer directly into your home at no extra cost. The idea that you're going to go see as many movies at these prices in theaters, I think that's a pipe dream. It's just not going to happen. Let me let me ask you this, because I I did see this tweet earlier and I understand that you've since deleted it. But everything lives forever when it comes to the Internet. You tweeted earlier today down 65 cents. Clearly, this is during the session. Only nine dollars and eighty four left to go. Are you in any way cheering against this stock? I mean, I have to ask you this because of that tweet and just because, you know, the high interest in this particular stock. We don't. I mean, look, we have I think, as you've seen, Melissa, with us going back, uh, really, our whole careers, when we make a big call, we mean it. And we're going to swing until we admit we're wrong on a name. Uh, We've been very vocal in our views on Fubo. Uh, Obviously, that was a very controversial call. I think we've been very correct in that view so far. Obviously, ultimately, we'll see whether it ultimately gets to our our price target of 650. But when we believe a stock is meaningfully undervalued, take Snapchat. We put a buy on it in the teens. Right. Now it's a stock that's up multiple times that. The same thing with Twitter at 16. We went on positive. And we talked, actually, I think you had us on the show back in January, sure. people fearing sort of what it meant for Trump with Trump you know, being banned. And we said you had to buy Twitter. Yep. It's been a home run stock okay. on the long side. So we get very vocal when we believe in a stock, both long and short. That's what Lightshed yep. does. And the market's at the ultimate arbiter. Rich, great to speak to you. Thank you, Rich Greenfield. Thanks for having me on. Quick final trade, Tim. Home Depot. Karen. CVS. Steve Grasso. STPK, great entry point. Guy Adami. EA, it's in the game. All right, thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow on The Edge. Starts right now. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.